Well, hello, Horror Nights in Podcast family, and welcome to the Horror Nights in Podcast. My name is Crystal, and I'm the host of this podcast where I talk about horror movies, the good, the bad, the new, and the old. I upload a new episode of this podcast every single Monday, and we are going back to the basics, reviewing horror movies, because that is what started this whole thing, and that is what makes me the happiest. So let's get into the episode. So first and foremost, thank you so much to everyone who wished me a happy birthday on my socials. If you don't know, my birthday was on Saturday, November 13th. Yeah, so thank you so much for that. Um, I really didn't do much. I kind of just hung out at home with my cat Roxy and like played The Sims and watched Harry Potter because I guess internally I'm 14, but externally I'm old. (laughs) All right, so as you can tell from the title, we're going to be talking about the film The Neon Demon. When I tell you how much I love this movie, it is not enough. I love, love, love this movie. Yeah, so we'll do our normal run-through of it, and then we'll do my thoughts, opinions, and ramblings after, but guys, this movie is iconic, beautiful, and just so fun to look at. Okay, let's deep dive, and then we'll chat. The Neon Demon was released in 2016 with a running time of 1 hour and 57 minutes, so it's definitely a longer film. And it's about an aspiring model named Jessie who is new to Los Angeles. But because of her beauty and youth, others become jealous within the industry and may prove themselves to be evil. The film was written and directed by Nicholas Winding Regine, which you may know from Drive and Only God Forgives. Also, there are a ton of spoilers in this episode as my other ones are too. So if you have not seen The Neon Demon, I urge you to pause this, go watch it, and then come back. We get our opening shot of our main character, Jessie, who is played by the very beautiful and stunning Elle Fanning, and she's on a couch covered in Jules makeup and blood, my favorite. She is in a photo shoot, but she looks very much dead, and she's not moving. The photographer also looks very menacing, and when we cut back to the shoot, Jessie is gone, and we can see now that she is in her dressing room trying to get the fake blood off of her arm. And this is where we meet Ruby, who is played by Jenna Malone. She is the makeup artist on set, and we can already tell Ruby is completely enthralled and entranced with Jessie because of her beauty and that just off the plane look in LA. She then begins helping Jessie remove the fake blood and we find out that Jessie is living in a very sketchy, not very safe motel in Pasadena and her family, her parents, are pretty much out of the picture. Ruby, the makeup artist, decides it's best to invite Jessie to her first Los Angeles party, and that is where we meet the supporting characters of Gigi and Sarah, who we can assume are somewhat established in the LA fashion world. So we are now with our models and our makeup artist in the bathroom, and it's definitely a standoff between the old and the new faces of the fashion world. 
the innocent versus the guilty, and how it's all wrapped up in hierarchy and sex. There is also this conversation between the women about whether you are food or sex, which will make more sense towards the end of the film, and I will go over that as well. So in this scene, we can definitely tell that Jessie is intimidated, but she also kind of likes the thrill of being the new girl in town. So she's still at the party, there is a show there now being performed, and it's cascaded in these red flashing lights, and we can see that a woman is in bondage in the center. In the next scene, we are now back with Jessie in her motel room, and she is getting ready for a casting call with an LA model agency who is represented by the iconic actress Christina Hendricks. She gets good feedback from the agency, and she paints a picture for Jessie about being great and not cracking under the pressure of the fashion world. Sorry, someone outside has a really loud, obnoxious car and deciding to drive it right now as I'm recording my podcast. <laughs> so as I was saying before, I was really interrupted. Um, so Jessie gets great feedback from the modeling agency. Um, the actress, Christina Hendricks, I believe her character's name is Roberta. So she, so Roberta gives Jessie good feedback, but she also gives her a warning. She says, you know, be careful out there. And there's also this really strange thing, which is very common in the modeling world. Roberta tells Jessie to make sure that she tells anyone that she comes in contact with that she is 19 years old. We don't find out till a little bit later in the film how old she actually is, which I will tell you when we get there. Roberta then tells Jessie that she got her a test shoot with a pretty famous photographer known in the Los Angeles area. We then meet Dean, her friend, who was actually the photographer in the beginning of the film who shot her original photos and seems to be her only friend in Los Angeles at the moment, but also most likely probably like into her, maybe a little bit in love with her. And we can definitely tell Jessie is scared of the Los Angeles world, but she is embracing it and does seem to play into her pretty privilege. She likes to look at herself and she likes when others look at her too. So now we have Jesse and Dean hanging out and Jesse is telling Dean about the new modeling agency that she just signed with. And this is where I find out that Jesse is freshly 16 years old. So we're not really sure how old Dean is, but we have to assume he's probably like in his early 20s as he definitely tries to kiss her, but Jessie pulls away. But she does want to see him again. It's strange, so, but I'm just gonna keep going. So as Jessie's about to go in her room, she sees something move across her bed. So she runs down to the manager. The manager's name is Hank, who is played by Keanu Reeves of all people. So he, his friend Mikey and Jesse go into the room and they see that it is a loose mountain lion who has destroyed the room. Of course, this is a metaphor for the film itself, which we will get into later. The next scene we see Jesse is at her test shoot and Ruby, the makeup artist, is there smiling at her. What is interesting about the shoots in this in this film is that the models do not move, but I think that is more so for visual impact than really anything. 
Ruby then puts Jesse in this very futuristic gold makeup and shows Jack, the photographer, who is played by Desmond Harrington, who I know and you might know from Dexter. Jack then tells Jesse to remove her shoes and he brings her to this very white background as he circles around her. And we can tell he is also intrigued by Jesse as he makes the shoot a close set and everybody leaves. So this is kind of where we see Ruby being protective over Jesse because she says that she doesn't mind staying, but Jack insists that she leaves. So Ruby leaves. He then tells Jesse to take off her clothes, which she does. And this entire scene is, of course, another metaphor for how the fashion industry works. Jesse is clearly uncomfortable, but does as she is told. Jack then starts to put gold body paint all over her naked body, and it's also uncomfortable for me considering we know how old she is now, and of course how much older the photographer is, but nonetheless the shoot begins as he starts taking photos of her. After the shoot is over, Ruby is outside and waiting and asks Jesse how it went, and when she tells Ruby it went really well, but Ruby tells her to be safe with Jack, another warning that she gets from somebody in the industry. Jesse does defend herself here, but Ruby promises Jesse to call her day or night if she needed anything, which will come up, of course, later in the film. Ruby then meets up with Gigi and Sarah, the models from earlier, and she tells them Jack did a test shoot on Jesse, and we can tell that these two models are very much intimidated by this. Now, Jesse is at a casting call, and we see that the model Sarah is also there. And Sarah is definitely the model who is probably most intimidated by the newcomer. The casting call is in their underwear, which is strange, but there is something to be said about this. And I did read an article where the director mentioned the reason that they were in their underwear is because he wanted to make it look like it was a slaughterhouse, which is interesting for... A fashion shoot, but I digress. So the models begin to do their walks and Sarah goes and the casting director is not impressed by Sarah because from what we can assume there was maybe a problem with her on a previous shoot and she's also a repeat model but of course when the casting director sees Jesse he is just so enthralled with her and Jesse and Sarah both know this. Sarah is now in the women's bathroom staring at herself in a reflection in the mirror and she takes a metal object and she throws it at the mirror. Jesse hearing this goes inside and sees the cracked mirror and the ripped up photo cards of Sarah and of course she sees Sarah on the floor extremely well she's actually not too upset she's kind of just like smoking a cigarette. <laughs> um, Sarah then tells Jesse about her inner thoughts of being seen and being a ghost. And I thought this was an interesting conversation between the two characters because in this scene, Sarah is saying how she feels as if she is a ghost and how it means everything to be seen. And Jesse <laughs> replies to her and basically just says that it means everything to her to be seen by the others around her. 
and Sarah then kind of lunges towards Jessie, but then Jessie leans back and cuts her hand on a piece of the broken glass from the mirror, and Sarah helps her by sucking the blood from her hand. Jessie, of course, reacts by screaming and leaving. So in the next scene, we learn that Ruby is also a makeup artist for the dead. So she obviously is a mortician as well as a regular makeup artist for models. So now we're back with Jessie and she is at her motel room and we can see that she is very skeeved out by Hank, the manager, as she runs past him to get back to her room. She then hears a knock on her door, and it's Dean with flowers, but then she passes out from the pain of the cut in her hand, so we get this very beautiful shot of Jessie looking like she's dead with a bouquet of red roses, or I'm sorry, if they were pink roses next to her. So she tells Dean, she confides in him about everything that's happened, and how Hank is basically making her pay for the damages of the mountain lion getting in. So Dean then confronts Hank, who is very aggressive and gross about the girls that he houses in his motel. Uh, we then get this really gross scene of Dean helping uh, Jessie get the glass out of her hand. So in the next scene, we see that Jessie is at a fashion show and Gigi is also there as well. And Gigi decides to confront her for even being there. She's asking her why she's there and she's throwing jabs at her. And Gigi is also flaunting herself, saying that she can, she didn't even have to show up to a casting call. She can just show up and pick the clothes that she wants to wear. She then tells Jessie about all the plastic surgery that she has done on her body. And it's just a strange scene you know it's not a strange scene it's a very eye-opening scene considering all the things that this beautiful woman had to get done where she probably looked stunning before she is stunning regardless but um it's definitely another insight into this world if you're not familiar with it so shortly after this jesse then finds out that she's actually the model that's going to be closing the show and she is just loving every second of it as she is dressed in a beautiful black sequin dress. So there are a lot of visual components in this film, which we will definitely talk about later. So it's after the show. Jessie is now with Dean and she invites him to this after party. But the thing is, like, it's just at a restaurant and it's only a few people. We also get some more insight here on the casting director who is just completely full of himself and narcissistic and very pompous and just wants to be surrounded by beautiful models all the time. We also see that Gigi is there as well and they are talking about manufactured beauty which is of course what Gigi is because we learned that from the last scene. So the fashion director is now pitting Gigi and Sarah against each other and he then asks Dean for his opinion on Gigi and he calls Dean out on how if Jesse wasn't beautiful he wouldn't have stopped to even talk to her. He then tells Jesse he wants to leave and Jesse, just completely living her best life, tells Dean to leave. So this also was another interesting part of the film because as I was saying, the creative director or the, the fashion director of the show, he was pitting the two against the two models against each other and basically saying like, you know, you can pay all the money in the world to look a certain way, but you could never get what Jesse has. So listen, it's an interesting scene. The scene definitely feeds into Jesse's ego inflating it, 
where on the other opposite end, Gigi's ego and self-esteem was just completely just deflating. And it's, it's just another scene that shows how men can pit women against each other and just a lot of other things that we're going to talk about a little bit later. So then Jessie returns back to her motel room and we see that Dean is waiting for her and he kind of calls her out on the way that she was acting and he says, you know, why, why would you want to be like them? And she says to him very calmly, she says, I don't want to be like them. They want to be like me. And then she walks past him and goes into her room alone. So this next scene, I can't really tell if it was a dream or if it was a nightmare or if this was just from Jesse's imagination. But Hank, the gross manager, he basically decides this is right to enter her room. And he then puts a knife inside of her mouth and she wakes up on her floor. Then she hears someone is trying to get into her room and she quickly deadbolts the door. She then hears a door open in the room next to her and hears a struggle, but instead of helping, she listens closely as kind of the camera pans out. This is definitely a harder scene to watch in this film because we can clearly hear a girl is being sexually assaulted in the room next to her. But of course, you cannot judge anybody who's in a situation. And we also have to remember that Jessie is only 16 years old, so what is she going to do to help whoever is the victim in this situation? She then calls Ruby and asks Ruby for help. Ruby then tells her to go to her home, which she does. But as I mentioned earlier, Ruby is also strangely fascinated and intrigued by Jessie. She then begins to brush Jessie's hair when they're in Jessie's bedroom, and she thanks Ruby for taking care of her, but then Ruby comes onto her and Jesse pushes her off and Ruby leaves. So this is definitely another scene that's a little hard to watch because Jesse is being sexually assaulted by Ruby. So then we see after that whole scene happens, Ruby then draws two X's on a mirror with lipstick. So we'll talk about that later as well. So the next morning, Jessie wakes up and sees a red dress on the chair by the bed. She gets up and she sees the lipstick on the mirror as well. Ruby is now at work and she is working on a dead girl who sort of resembles Jessie. Then Ruby gets a little handsy with the corpse and that's all I really need to say about that because if you've seen the film, then you already know what I'm talking about, little necrophilia in there. So, uh, this is kind of a hard scene to watch too, but it's all definitely metaphors and themes that are going on within this film for sure. Okay, so now Jessie is putting on makeup, which is the iconic pink and glitter image. This is the makeup that I love so much. She then puts on a dress and she goes outside to stand on the diving board over an empty pool in the backyard when Ruby walks outside to find her after Ruby gets home from work. She then tells Ruby that her mother used to call her dangerous and how she knows she's dangerous and how she knows how beautiful she is. This is actually a really beautiful scene because we have Ruby who is standing in the empty pool in the deep end, who is looking up at Jessie, who looks as if she is floating in this scene. So this is definitely another example of how the imagery in this film really, really works and how it just makes it look really cool. 
So then Jessie walks inside and she sees Sarah and Gigi waiting for her and she says, are we having a party or something? But instead of a party, Gigi and Sarah attack her. Jessie then runs and grabs a knife and the other two chase her throughout the house. She is now surrounded by Gigi, Ruby, and Sarah outside again and Ruby steps forward and pushes Jessie into the empty pool where Jessie is now pretty much almost dead after hitting her head. And the three are now walking towards her, and the scene cuts to Ruby in a tub covered in head-to-toe with blood, which we can assume is Jessie's. And the other two are in the shower washing off the blood they also have on their bodies. So it is now the next day, and Ruby is outside spraying down the pool. We then see her laying in a field, and then we see her naked in front of of a window with the moonlight flooding in as blood pours out from her body. So Sarah and Gigi are now at a shoot and we can see Gigi getting her hair and makeup done. And there's also another model there saying how girls fall out of the industry, basically just like talking shit about the entire industry as a whole and saying how uh, when a model reaches their 20s, they are just not wanted anymore. and how girls screw other girls over for jobs all the time. So then this model asks Sarah what she ever did about it when a girl screwed her over, and Sarah says the iconic line that she says, I ate her. So we can assume that these elder models eat their competition, like literally eat them and digest them. So we are now back with Jack, who is the infamous photographer at this photo shoot, and he asks Gigi, who is not part of the shoot yet, what she's doing there. He then asks her to come onto the shoot, and he actually fires the other model. So now it's Gigi and Sarah back on top, posing for the camera. So during their photo shoot, we see Gigi is starting to get a little sick. And then so does Sarah, but she kind of fights it off. And they are looking into the pool at at the photo shoot. Gigi then runs off set and is now in the bathroom and is in pain. And Sarah goes and looks for her and, of course, finds her. Gigi then throws up an eyeball and then starts crying. Yes, an eyeball. You guys remember. She then says she needs to get her out of her and grabs a pair of scissors and stabs herself fatally in the stomach. Sarah's now just looking at her dead friend and then at the eyeball on the carpet. And then she picks up the eyeball and then she eats it. <laughs> she then walks slowly backwards out of the room and walks away back to set and the film ends. Okay, so we have a lot to unpack here. We have lots of themes, symbolisms, theories, metaphors. So so first, the visual masterpiece of this film really gives me European vibe. And it seems to take a lot of direction from a lot of Italian films. We also have an ongoing color scheme of neon pinks and blues. We see it in the many scenes from like the actual lights to the makeup that Jessie wears. Now, this can represent Jessie transforming from the innocent girl to confident woman. Ella Fanning, as an actress, was able to portray things just by using her face, which we definitely saw when she was casted to end the show for that really creepy designer. She's looking at herself in the triangular mirrors and is giving us a very menacing, don't mess with me look. 
She also kisses her reflection in this scene, which again represents the narcissism of the character taking hold. The colors also represent emotion. The director wanted red to mean danger, and the blues also comes from the Greek myth Narcissus. In this story, he was a beautiful son, and he loved no one until he saw his own reflection in the water, and he fell in love with that. There is also cuts to bright whites that look never-ending, and it was very saturated that made it almost too hard to look at. Along with the colors, we also get the audio aid from the music. It kind of reminds me much of the film we talked about last week, It Follows. So this music was composed by Cliff Martinez, and it almost had a dreamlike feel to it, but not a happy dream. Kind of reminds me like a sleep paralysis state of dreaming, or like a trance, like being hypnotized. So moving right into metaphors, this film is a huge metaphor of life in the fashion industry and of predators and prey. In the fashion industry, there is a lot of narcissism, a lot of jealousy, entitlement, and it is solely based on how your body looks and also how your face complements your body and, of course, how clothes will look on that face and body. And the title itself can even be broken down to the demon of vanity and the neon is the glitz and the glamour of the modeling industry. I now want to focus on the characters of Ruby, Gigi, and Sarah. They have each seen their fair share of things in the industry and, of course, are threatened by any newcomers. They give off very cult-like witch vibes, as we saw in the bathroom where Sarah starts drinking from Jessie's cut hand. In the beginning of the film, they are also discussing whether Jessie thought she was food or sex, which can be an indication that this is how she would be accepted into their cult or their coven. In this scene, we also have one of the models calling Jessie dessert because she is innocent and sweet. So, and then of course we have the scene where Ruby tries to force herself on Jessie and Jessie refused. And in that moment, Ruby made her up to be food, which is why in turn they eat her at the end of the film. And then of course we have the moonlight scene with Ruby. Could also mean that whatever this ritual that they're doing was complete. There is also something to be said about how throughout the entire film, we are anxious about the gross, nasty, predator-like men, while the women in the film were the ones that actually destroyed Jesse and the end. But of course, there are other ways to look at this film. Jesse saw success very quickly, and it consumed her to where even the people who did like her didn't like her anymore, like Ruby and Dean. And blood can also represent a new cycle and how each cycle a new egg is reborn and can be fertilized or it can die. Jessie could be represented as that too. She really let the fame and glory go to her head, especially the line when she's on the diving board where she says women would kill to look like this. They carve and stuff and inject themselves. They starve to death, hoping, praying, one day they'll look like a second-rate version of me. And I think once she said this line, this is when Ruby's like, okay, you gotta go. We're gonna eat ya. <laughs> I also want to talk about the mountain lion that finds its way into the second-floor motel room. This is a huge metaphor for the film because it represents something monstrous tearing up the innocence of Jesse. 
Also, we find out that Jesse left her sliding door open, which is how the mountain lion got in. And that can also mean Jesse left the door open, which allowed monsters to come into her life. You like that? You get that? <laughs> I was also reading that some believe that this was actually Ruby in an animal form coming into her room, but it was like one sentence on a review thing that I was checking out. So I don't know if I really believe that, but you never know. Okay, so at the end of the film, the film is dedicated to Liv. So who is Liv? Well, it's actually the director's wife. And she was the one who inspired this film. Now let me explain it, because when I read that too, I was like, wait, what? So the director said in an interview that he woke up one morning very depressed, and he wondered what it'd be like to have been born beautiful, and how there is a 16-year-old girl in every man, and he wanted this film to represent that. Because even though women are more prone to their looks, men also deal with the same kind of struggles as well. And of course, his wife is very beautiful, so she inspired the film. In addition, the budget for the film was low, which had to force his creative hand to get the shots that he wanted. I think that's why we see a lot of mirror angles and a lot of scenes done that use a lot of lights and very hard shots. I'm sure those shots were digitally enhanced in post, but I think they did what they could with the money that they had and the time that they had. I think the reason I chose to do this film is because essentially it wasn't really a horror movie that we're used to seeing. It was a film about the horrors of Hollywood with underlying predator tendencies. It also showed the horrors of being obsessed with oneself and how it can be all-consuming. Yes, it does have the blood and the guts and the necrophilia, but it wasn't all the time. It was only in a few select scenes that we saw these things. The film really sticks with me because of the visual parts of it, but also, in a way, I'm sort of obsessed with the fashion industry and how it works. I don't want to be a model or anything. I never even want to be a part of it. I did do a little bit of interning in New York City many, many moons ago, and it was fun, but it's definitely a difficult industry to be in, and I just always found it very fascinating. And when you can make a horror movie about the fashion industry, I'm all for it. So... So, to really mesh blood and gore with flashy cameras and lipstick was fun. Was the film perfect? No, not at all. But it made me think, and it stuck with me for a really long time. I wish there was some explanation about what Ruby, Gigi, and Sarah actually were, though. I am all for finding your own explanation, but at the same time, like, I'm gonna need a little bit more. And there is something to be said about how a film is really ambiguous, but sometimes it can be a little bit too ambiguous because as I was doing my research for this episode, a lot of people had a lot of different theories and a lot of people didn't even really like the film. Like I said, I think I like the film because I've always had an interest in how the fashion industry works. And of course I love horror films. So I think that's why I enjoyed it. But as I said, there is a way to make something ambiguous and everybody kind of understand it. And then there's the other way that just makes it almost like too ambiguous to the point where it's like I really don't even know what happened but regardless of all of that I really did enjoy this film a lot well there you have it guys my deep dive into the neon demon 
I hope that you enjoyed it as well, and thank you guys for listening, and stay tuned for my next episode. New episodes of this podcast drop every single Monday, and thank you for being here. Also, if you want to catch my YouTube videos, I post new ones every Wednesday where I talk about strange and unusual things on the internet. You can also rate and review this podcast if you want, and remember to stay safe and stay spooky. Also, you can follow me on my social medias if you feel like it. Bye, guys. Thank you.